Okay, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah and chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government peace there shall be no end, Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Zeal, the Lord of the hosts, will perform this. The title of the message this morning is The Most Comprehensive Gift Ever Given. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word. Thank you for opportunity to to meet together, to fellowship one another, and to encourage one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching of our Lord's return. And Father, to sing praises unto thy name, and to pray to you, and to know that you will hear and answer according to your will. Father, we look into the word of God today, and as we consider the gift, the greatest, most comprehensive gift ever given, help us to realize what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. We do pray that you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The greatest gift is the gift of life. Of course, this is life eternal. Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are complete in him. That's the idea of comprehensive there. Complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And I would say again to you that Christ was the most comprehensive gift ever given. 2 Timothy 3.16.17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished. Truly. All the way through. Completely furnished unto all good works. So as we consider this morning, this is of course a prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ given through Isaiah some 740 or so years before it actually took place. First of all, I want you to consider, as we just go through this verse 6 in particular, unto us a child is born. Uh, Speaking about the fact that God would be born as a child. And we'll see that when in the next phrase the son is given. You know, Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so this child, this is talking about uh, uh, 
a seed of the woman. You know, it's interesting, the only, and I'll say this again in the afternoon, refer to this, but there's only one other time in the Bible that the Bible refers to a woman's seed. Hundreds of times in the Bible it talks about the seed, the seed or seeds, and it always refers to the man. Because we think about the seed for conception, it's it's the man who has the seed. But in this case, it's the seed of the woman. And the reason is, there is no human father. Jesus Christ didn't have a human father. It will be her seed. And Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. And so he was the, the child was born... So there was a birth, and by the way, that birth was just as natural as every other birth is. There was really nothing miraculous about the birth. It's this conception that's miraculous. Uh, and so this, this, this child was born, and, and he was a, a child like all other children. Uh, and Mark chapter 11, verses 12 and 13 says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. You know, babies get hungry. He probably cried when he was a baby when he got hungry, just like every other baby does. You know, he may have, he may have cried when he wanted help too, just like other babies do. But anyway, uh, and he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if happy he might find there. And when he came and found it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Uh, Jesus shed cheers. This 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 one who was born like a, uh, a man does. John eleven five says Jesus wept. Uh, he had emotions like other, like a man. Mark 3, 5 says he looked on them in anger. That is the Pharisees because of the hardness of their hearts. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 through 18. In Hebrews 2 verses 14 through 18. <clears throat> there the Bible tells us that he, he took flesh and blood. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him he made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So, so he was made like unto us so he could save us from our sins. Yet, he was without sin. And so we see this, this child is born. It's not really not, nothing unusual about a child being born. What's unusual is the son... Is not born. The son is given. Notice verse 9 again, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A son is given. And so as we think about the son being given, it, it's, it's instructing us as to the deity of Jesus Christ, or that he is God. You know, John 1 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
It's made flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, in verses 5 through 8, the Bible says, Let this mind be you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal with God. He wasn't boasting or saying something that wasn't true when he said, I and my Father are one. He was telling the truth. He thought it not robbery equal with God. He made, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And of course, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You see, Jesus Christ, the God-man, was not the fruit of the joining of a man and woman through natural conception. He, but he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Matthew one twenty tells us that he was that he was born of uh, that he was uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost. His birth is unique, one of a kind. Therefore, he did not inherit man's sin nature. First John three five says. And he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So this son that was given as a baby would grow to manhood and heal the sick, make the blind to see, make the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. He would calm the seas, put a coin in a fish's mouth to pay his and Peter's taxes. He would forgive sin and raise the dead, yet die on a cross, crying, it is finished, while the earth quaked. And a tough Roman soldier would be prompted to say, truly this was the Son of God. See, the Son was given. The Son was not born. The child was. The Son was given. God manifest in the flesh. The third thing we see about this gift is that it is a burden bearer. Notice in verse 6 again, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Did you ever use the phrase, well, you know, I can take it, I got broad shoulders. You know, what you're saying is, I can bear that. I can bear that. And that's the idea here. He is a, he, a bearing shoulder speaks of responsibility. And, of course, you know, the, the rest of this verse, a lot of it has to do with millennium. That is the primary application. But there's some applications we can make to ourselves today. For he is our burden bearer. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 53. There's a lot of prophecy in Isaiah concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot that Isaiah the prophet had to say about him. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6 says, Surely he hath borne. In other words, he bore, or he bare, he, he bears the burden of our sins, our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. So he bore the penalty for our transgressions, our sins. Uh, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So the bringing about of peace with God was through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, he bore the burden, the iniquity of us all. He's our burden bearer. In verses 10 and 11, Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You know, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 that he is a propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only. Not just for the elect, quote-unquote, as the Calvinists would say. No, but for the sins of the whole world. He was the sin-bearer for the whole world. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Psalm 55.22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to the move. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. In other words, he has regard for you. God, can you, can you, can you fathom this? That God, the holy righteous God, had regard for wicked sinful men and their salvation. And their deliverance from death and hell. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, verses 11 through 13, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. But you know, he wasn't a hireling. He was the good shepherd who gave his life for, that, for the sheep. We, we are those sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he is our burden bearer. The fourth thing we see here is he's called or named wonderful. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful. That word wonderful means admirable, distinguished a miracle of God. There's a lot of things in the Bible that names that uh, that refer to him or titles that refer to him that speak of this wonderful person. In the Song of Solomon, he's called the beautiful rose of Sharon or the lily and the lily of the valley. In Revelation 22, 16, he's referred to as the bright and morning star. Proverbs 18, 24, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Proverbs 27, 10, he's referred to as the father of the fatherless. In John chapter 6, he's bread 
to the hungry soul. In John chapter 4, he's water to the thirsty. In Proverbs 14, he's a refuge to the fearful. In Isaiah 40, he's strength to the weary. In Titus chapter 1, he's hope to the hopeless. To those in darkness, he's the light of the world. And to those who's hurting, he carried our sorrows and bore our griefs. You know, in Matthew it says, A bruised reed shall he not break. See, our Lord is a merciful and loving Savior. And to a man or a woman or, or a person who is bruised and broken, He's not out to destroy them. He's out to save them. He came to save them. He's a wonderful. Though He is the holy Sinless Son of God, yet He is wonderful. We sing the song, He's a wonderful Savior to me. And truly, He is wonderful. Fifthly, He's given a name of Counselor. Counselor. You know, Counselor is one, who, of course, who gives counsel. I remember in high school they have what they call guidance counselors. You know, if you have questions about courses you wanted to take, if you had a certain path of study you wanted to seek out, and you know you could go talk to the guidance counselor, and he could suggest you know you take this course and this course to help you on that path toward what you want to study and become. And and so you you could ask them about. You know, courses of learning to prepare for your career path. But we have the best counselor the world has to offer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he created life. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He created life. He sustains life. By him all things consist, Colossians 1 tells us. He holds the keys of life. He has the keys of death and hell, Revelation 1 tells us. Do you think maybe he knows something about your life? What's best for your life? After all, he created it. He created it. He's the one that gave you life. Paul warns us in Colossians 2, 8 through 10, to beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments, the things of this world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is head of all principality and power. Your Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. You know, there is no counsel where you will not receive it. There is no counsel when you will not seek it. There is no counsel when you will not give heed to it. And there is no counsel when you to pretend to be seeking counsel, but you already have determined what you're going to do. There's no counsel for you. And Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, there is 
they are established. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. You know, Joshua and Caleb were two men in the Old Testament. They were grown adults. They took their counsel from Moses, who delivered them the commands and promises of God and the instructions for living in the wilderness. By the way, which included what to eat, Instructions concerning hygiene, how to pre- present, prevent disease and sickness. Instructions for conquering the enemies in the land and what to do when they got into the land. You know what? Those instructions were comprehensive. They were complete. You know, God, our Lord, has given us a comprehensive Counsel in his word. But if we want to know what that counsel is, we've got to seek it out. We've got to seek it out. Too often we have this idea that the word of God only has instructions on how to be saved and we have to go to the world for everything else. That is a lie. It's a lie. You need to read the book. Do you ever consider that the best instruction on how to treat people, how to relate with people, is in the Bible? Did you ever read the book of Proverbs? You know, the best instructions to child training is in the book of Proverbs. And other places, but probably the most, most instructions concerning that is in the book of Proverbs. You see, this book is full of counselors. It's full of counselors. That's what I'm doing today. I'm giving you counsel. I'm telling you what the book says. I mean, I, I really don't have any counsel of my own. Just what the book says. You know, I know for those who rejected the counsel, some of them, the earth swallowed them up. There's Joshua and Caleb. They're just watching. Why? They hated the counsel that Moses gave, that Moses got from God. There was those who murmured and wanted meat, and then they ate so much they got plagued and died. And there's Joshua and Caleb, and they're just watching. They heeded the counsel Moses gave concerning eating. What to do with eating? Do you know that men died in a plague because of what they ate? There was a plague of pure, pure, because the women of, Mo, women of Moab seduced the men of Israel, and they invited them to their sacrifices, and many of them died. And there's Joshua and Caleb, they're just observing it, because they heeded the counsel of Moses, who gave them the commands of God concerning marriage. You know, God gives, has multitude of counselors concerning marriage, even how you begin how you prepare you know the Bible says if a man 
a, 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 a young lady is under the authority of her father. Therefore, a young man, before he starts pursuing a young lady, needs to go to her father and ask permission. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, all these things are in the Bible. We have all this counsel. God sent fiery serpents when they Moses, And there's Joshua and Caleb just standing and watching. You see, all the men their age died in the wilderness. Not one plague touched them. Why? Because they listened to the counsel of God. They just didn't listen to it. They sought it out. They sought it out. Joshua stayed in this tent, fellowshipping with God, while the others were out there murmuring and complaining. Joshua was in the tent. It was said of Caleb that he wholly followed the Lord his God. He sought to do. He just didn't listen. He sought to do it. He pursued it. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. We have a wise counselor in, in this gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the Word of God, the living Word of God. In Isaiah 11... Verses 1 and 2, it says this. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This is speaking about Christ. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about those things. Wisdom is skill, ability of administration, or ability to order you know, God can give you wisdom to order and direct your life. But you have to be willing to receive it. You have to seek it out. <clears throat> he can give you wisdom to direct your life. Understanding, the word understanding is the ability to discern or to comprehend or to grasp ideas and thereby know what to do. In 1 Chronicles 12, 32, the Bible says, And of the children of Isaac, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. And the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. So these were men who had understanding. They knew what they should do at the time. God. See, in him is the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. And it says the spirit of counsel. In other words, the ability to adopt right conclusions and to make right choices. You know, God can give you the ability to make right choices. Psalm 23.3 says, that is he, our good shepherd, leads us in paths of righteousness. First name six. In other words, he leads us. If you're following him, he'll lead you in the right way. The right path of life. He's also the spirit of might. And that word might there means power or ability to carry out those right choices. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verses 29 and 31 says, He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. 
Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, I'm reading through the book of Exodus right now, and, and, and I thought about this when I came to chapter 17, where Amalek come out and fought against Israel. Do you realize that Israel was not a fighting people? They had never fought in a battle before. Never. They didn't even have instruments of war. They didn't have swords and spears. They had farming tools. And that's what they used. They were at a great disadvantage. But see, God gives power to the faint. He gives strength to the weary. And Moses went up on the mountain and held out his staff. And while he held out his staff, Israel prevailed. But his hands got weary. When he let down the staff, Amalek prevailed. So Aaron and Hur sat on one, each on one side and held up his hands. And Israel prevailed. The weak. See, God can give us the power and the ability to carry out our right choices. We just need to surrender to him. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. If God directs you to do something, then he will give you the strength and the ability with, and the means to do it. That's his promise. He is the spirit of might. See, this is the counselor we have with the word of God. And then number six. Another name he's given is the mighty God. The mighty God. That word mighty there, he's the Jehovah. He's Jehovah. In Hebrews 10, 5 says, when he, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice for an offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. See, the mighty God can reveal himself to the world by means of a virgin womb, limiting himself for a time in the limitations of a human body, subject himself to the depravity and cruelty of wicked men, and be crucified only to break forth from the grave and, and, and declaring himself uh, by the power of God to be God, to the Son of God, and have power over death, hell, and Satan. He's the mighty God. Your Revelation 1.8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Almighty God. In Revelation 1.18 it says of him, I am he that liveth, By the way, that word liveth there means never die again. It's continual life. In other words, eternal life. So I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. And because he lives, we can, and none of this isn't right English, but we can liveth also. In other words, we can have life that will never die. Eternal. 
Because it is the life of God that He gives to us. Oh, He is the mighty God. And then, lastly, He is, or, or seventhly, He is the everlasting Father. In John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. That's a familiar passage, but John 10. Twenty-nine and thirty. I'm going to read verse twenty-eight. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So He is one with the Father. They are one, and and He is the everlasting Father. John 13 tells us he loved them unto the end, or he will never cease to love them. That's the idea there. John or Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, a person can die and go to hell. But a person can't die and go to hell without a God that loved. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul tells the church at Corinth the promise of the Father. He said, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, when a person repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they become a child of the Almighty God. And He's the everlasting Father. He will never cease to be your Father. You will never cease to be a child of God. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, for He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I will never leave thee for, nor forsake thee. He is the everlasting Father. He's also, lastly, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The word Prince there means he's chief, he's captain, he's the Lord, speaks of nobility. He's the prince of priests. He talks about, you know, the Bible talks about it's the prince of this world cometh. That's referring to Satan. There's princes of darkness, but he is the prince of peace. He's the chief. Uh, and, of course, he's the, the one that can give peace. John fourteen twenty seven says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, the pilgrims came to the new world seeking freedom and peace. Is there peace? I mean, when we're talking about peace here, we're talking about peace without conflict. Was there peace in the new world? Well, there was Indians. 
And then there was the Spanish. And there was the Dutch. And they were all fighting for control of the new world. I mean, we, we say, well, you know, they got some religious freedom. Yeah, they got some, some freedoms. But you know what? They added new conflicts. they just from different sources. There's no peace in this world. I mean, the world likes to talk about peace and safety and all this stuff, but there's, but there's, I don't know that there's ever been a time in history of mankind that there wasn't a war going on somewhere. Or wars. Most of them you don't even know about. History didn't record them because they were just, they're just all the time. I mean, we're really with, at war within our own country. We just haven't used guns and stuff yet. And I say yet because it may come to that. I don't know. I'm not going to start it. You know, there's, there's, I, you know, I've read already where, you know, some want to kill us, get rid of us, kind of people. Um, no, there's not peace in the world. But Jesus says, "Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth." You know, the world, peace in the world is temporary, very temporary. John 16:33 These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. That's common in the world. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the prince of peace. He is the source of peace. It's only through him that we can have real and lasting peace. Ephesians 2:14 says for he is our peace. He is our peace. Colossians 1.20 Again, <clears throat> in having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes aliens, alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. It is Jesus Christ that made peace for you and I between us and God. He is our peace. Is he yours? Have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Have you received him? this most comprehensive gift that's ever been given, has you received him as your gift? By repentance from sin and unbelief and put your faith and trust in him. You know, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power, the might, the ability to become the sons of God, the authority. Yes, he is the most comprehensive gift ever given. Now, I don't think I've ever made a truer statement than this. The most beneficial person 
that's ever been a part of my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hands down. Hands down. There's some people have said, what's, what's made the difference in your life than some others? Christ. It's Christ. You know, he can make that difference in your life. But he must be received. Are you willing to repent and put your faith and trust in him and receive the most comprehensive gift ever given?